got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Nothing we do is for today. Ranching is the only business where the goal is to break even. Survive another season. All men are bad. But some of us try real hard to be good. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acker. I'm David Campbell. And we are joined today from across the pond by actor, by an actor and a director. And I won't introduce him. I'll let him introduce himself. Please tell us your name. <laughs> well, hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Denim Richards. Uh, yes, I'm an actor. Um, and also, I guess now we're saying director as well. So I guess we can throw that in there. Um, but, you know, I'm just a, you know, I'm a person that just loves to create. And, you know, I, I'm very, it's really difficult for me to talk about myself. It's so, it's like very strange whenever I introduce myself. Cause I'm just like, hey, I'm Denim and I do stuff on TV. Uh, so whatever we talk about is great. It's just, I'm never great at introducing myself in that way. <laughs> it's it's funny that's actually a thing that a lot of actors tend to have issue with they they are unable not necessarily unable and i say a lot of actors most actors that i've spoken to if you were to throw that simple question of tell us about yourself they stumble a little bit i i myself i don't i i, I i'm an actor as well but i don't have that issue mainly because mm. i love talking about myself 100 percent, and so i right. just, so it's never it's really true. A, yeah, thank this you. is very, very true. <laughs> Producer Dave confirms. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I found that I found that actors tend to have that issue. But is it because, and maybe I'm just asking you in your opinion, mm. what do you, what do you find as the reason as to why? Let's just focus on you rather than generalizing. Why do you find it slightly difficult to be able to talk about yourself in that regards? Uh, when you obviously, in, as part of your job, you inhabit other characters that will be mm. easy for you to be able to explain about them. Well, I think what's interesting about the question is, is that if you ask me specific questions about myself, I'm, I never have an issue answering them. I think that usually whenever it comes to an introduction, especially when it's around the entertainment industry, I find uh, for me personally that it comes off kind of like uh, self-idulterating in a way where it's like putting yourself up on a pedestal as this kind of like ethereal thing. And it's like, I, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing to be able to be in the entertainment thing, but I also like, it feels weird to be like, to like talk about yourself in this like very like amazing type of way, I guess. And so I think for me, I just look at it as, you know, when somebody else is talking about it, it's easier for me just to be able to like answer questions. but whenever it has anything to do with like myself as an artist or myself as an actor in the entertainment industry, it's very strange for me just because it's like, I, I think that there's so many people that really do enjoy talking about themselves and really kind of like get off on that uh, in that way, not talking about you specifically, but just people that I know in entertainment in general. Um, but just, I think that there's some people that really like that and really embrace that. Um, but I think also for me, it's like, I'm so much more than just an actor. And so when I really kind of prop that up, it feels as though like that's really what I do and like that's all I do. And that's kind of what 
I am all about when that's like a very small part of who I am. It's just a big part of what people know. That that makes absolute sense, and I know I threw that little bit about myself in there, but uh, but you're 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 absolutely right. And so what I'm going to do is, in order to help you out, I'm going to throw some questions at you so that it makes it easier for you to be able to focus and and sort of give <laughs> your responses tailored to those questions. Now, uh, one area that any of our listeners who recognizes the name Denim, Denim Richards would know you from is the is the cowboy the the western tv show called yellowstone starring mm. uh, kevin costner kelly riley cole hauser danny houston um uh, um and uh, sawyer the ultimate yeah uh, yeah um sawyer from lost i keep i always forget his name but i always remember him as sawyer from lost um that, that's a, that's how we all know him as Rorick now uh, for, for from yellowstone yeah so it's okay i feel you Exactly. Um, so you play Colby. Tell us, first of all, what Yellowstone is all about, because I, I, I'm not entirely sure if Yellowstone has really transferred to the UK at the moment. Mm. And your, this, this TV show is going into possibly, it's, am, I, am I correct, its third season? Uh, yeah, the- what's, what's airing right now is the third season, and then everyone's gearing up to, for season four. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Yellowstone is... Um, it's a show about this family called the Duttons, um, kind of like a, a tight niche family about like a bunch of ranchers, They're like the biggest landowners in Montana. And it kind of talks about the fight between themselves and these big multinational corporations that want to come in um, and take over the land and put kind of golf courses and malls and kind of make it uh, gentrify it in a way, if you will. And also the battle with the the native american community whose land was it was stolen from and their attempt to also get that land back from the duttons and so it kind of becomes this uh very very interesting dynamic where you have the the yellowstone family the dutton ranch family that is it's kind of fighting against these different corporations but it's also through cattle and the the source of that and so i play a cowboy on the show a ranch hand if you will and so we kind of just go and what we do all of john dutton's dirty work and you know, especially what has to do with land. And the beautiful thing about the show is we get to ride horses, you know, and so we get to be around livestock. Um, I believe, I think it probably in the UK, maybe the only thing that's on maybe is season one. I believe I do know a couple of people in the UK. They're like, when we can't see season three yet. So I don't know how that's really working out. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what the show is about. It's been uh, such an amazing opportunity, obviously, to work with people uh, like everyone that you mentioned, like, you know, Kevin and obviously Luke Grimes is in there, Cole Hauser. Um, so there's a, a lot of phenomenal artists that you that I've kind of grown up watching and have just seen from afar. And so now to be really proximate with them for the last four years has been really, really a great learning opportunity for me as well. Absolutely correct. Uh, Josh Holloway, name just popped into my head. Uh, Sawyer mm-hmm. from us, Josh Holloway. Now, uh, it's sort of, you mentioned it yourself, a lot of these actors are people who you would have grown up watching. Kevin Costner, I obviously... Uh, I, mm-hmm. I grew up watching Kevin Costner first in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and No right. Way Out, and then following up from there. Even I love even even what would be considered his failures, like Waterworld, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily the Postman, but yeah, but fair enough. So um, working with these with these uh, ho- with the Hollywood talents, such uh, not just Hollywood, but Kelly Riley, for example, and Danny mm-hmm. Houston. Uh, what would you say has been the the key or some some key tips or experiences that you have learned from these masters of their craft um, that you can now transfer that into other projects? 
Well, I think, you know, anytime that you're given anything, an opportunity to be anywhere where there's people that are far more um, advanced and experienced than you, I think the biggest thing that you can do is just not talk, right? And just kind of sit back and just learn and observe. And I think one of the things like, you know, for Kevin, who's been doing this for 45 years, um, it's kind of been like, you know, an A-lister, if you will, in Hollywood for those four decades. You know, it's really his attention to detail and his craft that after you know, so many decades in the entertainment industry where he kind of can write his own ticket um, and has won, you know, Oscars and all these other awards, you know, he still comes to work and with a, a, a level of detail and an attention to detail. And I think that that's important for longevity where you don't, you know, no matter what you put on, it's always going to be there, right? Like, so if you, if you decide that you're going to have a bad day at work, well, that's still going to be reported and then everyone's going to see that. And so I think that there's still, there's a level of the, the masterism in that of, you know, just showing up and, be, you know, understanding what you're doing, understanding what your elements are, but also really leaning on your other actors and how to pull out the best in them and also being open to them pulling out things in you as well. Um, and so I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned just kind of sitting back and watching what has been those types of things. Um, and of course they cut, <clears throat> they can come and add, you know, different elements and conversations and stuff like that. But just watching them when they don't even realize that they're teaching anything in their natural kind of environment, I think is the greatest lesson that you can learn. When you, when you see uh, those sort of actors, when you work with those actors, the temptation is great just to keep, just to sit at their feet and ask tons and tons of questions. Um, I like your idea of basically just saying, actually, rather than going and interrupting their flow, just be quiet and just, just observe, listen, that whole adage of children needing to uh, be seen and not heard. And that's the best right. way to sort of essentially learn from them. Um, okay, right. you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, producer David Campbell. And we're here with actor-director Denim Richards. Uh, he plays Colby on the TV show Yellowstone. Uh, let's move on from Yellowstone. Let's talk about another, uh, another project that you're working on, which is The Chickasaw Rancher. Uh, which you play Jack Brown. Now, there seems to be a correlation in your work that involves ranches. Is that on purpose, or is that because you're sort of exploring your skill set uh, of horse riding and, and staying in Montana, I guess? Uh, <laughs> what, what, is the, what is the connection between those two? Tell us what Chickasaw Rancher is about and how you got into it. Um, well, Chickasaw Rancher came uh, before Yellowstone. And so I think, you know, what was really interesting as I kind of have been taking this journey in the entertainment industry was like, you always have an idea um, when you're sitting at home unemployed about what projects you might be a part of. And the one I never imagined in my life that it would ever be a Western genre. I never saw myself in any of those fields. And then one day um, it was like, I always kind of, you know, I rode horses. I knew how to ride. Um, and then I, you know, I grew up singing and, you know, doing all those other things, especially from theater, musical theater, opera, X, Y, and Z. And so when Chickasaw Rancher came about, it kind of was like a, a mix of all those things. You had to be able to ride horses. You had to be able to sing. You had to be able to shoot guns. You had to be comfortable being on animals and around animals. And so I really kind of just went into that audition, just like, well, like nobody else, everyone else can go home. Like I'm Jack Brown. And so one of the great things for me was I, I always wanted to play a real life person 
you know, on camera. And it just so happens that the first co-starring film that I got to be a part of was being able to play this character, Jack Brown. And so Chickasaw Rancher is about the relationship between um, Montfort T. Johnson, who is a Native American man, and Jack Brown, who's obviously an African-American man, um, and their journey together during the Civil War era, which is in the 1860s, and about kind of what it was for them during, for ranching at that time. And so they made Montfort T. Johnson, who went down and died like a millionaire, what, they made their money by going and grabbing cattle from that had escaped different farms and they would go back to when they had escaped on these high mountains or hills or over cliffs and they would go and get these cattle and bring them back to the rancher like the ranch owners and they would get paid for that and so they started making money like that and so one of the days they decided that they were going to do what um at that time was like oklahoma's biggest cattle draw which was taking 1200 cattle and driving them 400 miles um and it was really a beautiful thing because it's a true story and being able to be a part of that and being able to, to see that kind of atmosphere and what that relationship was like in the 1860s. And, you know, one of the things a lot of people don't know is that the African-American community and the Native American community here have a lot of history that's very um, interwoven um, that here in the States that we don't really learn about in our history books. And so being able to be a part of that and learning more about the Chickasaw family um, and the Chickasaw nation um, that produced that film was really a phenomenal opportunity because we did we filmed it in Oklahoma um, in this small town in, in Oklahoma which was a big Chickasaw where it was a big Chickasaw nation so I was able to really learn about these different cultures but then also being able to do that on camera and being able to play with that on camera was really a phenomenal opportunity and then because of that some of the actors that I had worked with on there like Tommy Flanagan who had done Sons of Anarchy uh, with John Linson and Taylor Sheridan um, he then like led me into Yellowstone was like, Hey, like one of my best friends are doing the show. It's a, it's a ranch show. Kevin Costner's going to go on and produce it. You got to find a way to get on the show. Like, you know, you just got to do it. it. I think it would be amazing. And so I called my reps and I was like, Hey, this is apparently this new show that's coming out. I have never heard of it before, but you know, I'm kind of already in this pipeline. It'd be kind of awesome to have an opportunity, you know, to get a shot to audition for them. And then, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, <laughs> here we are. I was, I was going to bring up Tommy Flanagan. I'm a huge fan of Tommy Flanagan. Um, yeah. Sons of Anarchy He's amazing in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, yeah. Tiny little uh, cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, every time he pops up, that scarred face is just, uh, it's, it's just magnetic. Um, mm. And also Demet um, Mulroney, uh, who's from mm. uh, um, Best Friend's Wedding. And, Wedding, uh, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so you seem to just, you seem to, uh, you seem to be falling into these, well, not falling into, obviously your talent is is, conne- is connecting you to these roles. Um, mm. Do you feel that it is something that you're going to carry on and continue doing, staying in that, not necessarily staying in that field, but cultivating and cultivating your niche in that particular aspect? Is that something that you feel you might want to do? Or are you planning on sort of branching out? And then if anything comes up like that, you might dive back into it. Um, it's a great question. I think, you know, for me right now where I am in my journey is I'm very big about uh, wanting to do roles that are, um, you know, entertaining, but also edifying and educational, which you'll hear me probably say more than four times in this conversation. Um, But it's a really big thing for me. I think that, um, you know, once you start to get some eyes on you in society, if you will, I think that there's a responsibility that one has to be able to um, 
edify people and be able to use that platform <clears throat> in a way that is uh, emotionally conducive to not only the times, but to also kind of teach about our history. And so one of the great things with the Chickasaw is about talking about a real story about a real man that really, you know, he went on, Jack Brown went on to be Oklahoma's first sharecropper, you know, but there's virtually no history about him. And so do, being able to be a part of those types of projects, I think is really a beautiful thing because, you know, the mode of uh, people's learning now in this day and age is kind of through entertainment. And I think that, you know, we kind of, as people that are in the entertainment business, and this is just me for me personally, I feel like we, you know, there's always this thing where we want to create things and it's like, oh, it's just a story. But because so many people learn now through entertainment and they don't really break that like reality to false reality narrative anymore, they kind of just, whatever they see, they kind of just believe like, oh, that must be what it is. And so I think that there's an added responsibility for myself to want to just be a part of projects that talk about real stories and that talk about our culture and our community in a different light than maybe what's represented um, in different platforms, uh, you know, not only here in the States, but around the world in general. So, you know, it, if I have other opportunities to be able to tell stories about Westerns, because so much of the cowboy things and rodeos and stuff like that, that we see here in America and around the world, well, they were started by, by people of color. Um, they were the ones that, that, that taught them how to do that. It just wasn't popular um, to be able to accentuate and highlight uh, men of color, especially during those times as being the leaders in these different fields, um, like rodeo events and stuff like that, even though it came from them. Um, would you see these things like, um, like the Bill Pickett rodeos that you see? Well, Bill Pickett is the one that was like one of the best cowboys in the world. And a lot of things that John Wayne um, that they took to put on John Wayne is what they got from Bill Pickett. And so I think that for me, it's kind of now coming up behind a lot of the things that we've learned in today's society and kind of wiping a lot of that narrative away and, and kind of in, infusing some truth in it and do through in that form of entertainment. And so if I get an opportunity to do more things like that, then of course I absolutely want to continue down that path. Thank you. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acco. And I'm David Campbell. Unmuted. That's excellent. Yeah, um, I was muted this time. <laughs> so I want to I want to touch upon that point, and I want to use that strand that you just talked about with regards to educating people um, using cinema, using entertainment. You also mentioned uh, with uh, Chickasaw Rancher the connection between uh, the Native Americans and the connection between Native Americans and African Americans, and I want to use that uh, thread and pull that towards your uh, short movie, The Zoo. Um, so tell us, what is The Zoo about? Ooh, uh, so the zoo is, uh, it's a heavy, so zoo, the zoo is about um, what was going on for people of color, men of color during the time of World War II. Um, everyone kind of knows, uh, like when we say World War II, I don't have to say anything outside of that. And everybody has one situation and one set of circumstances behind that. And that's it. Um, and there were so many other things. And so what the zoo really talks about it. So during that time of World War II, there was, of course, what was going on in Germany and stuff like that. But the big thing that, the really, really big thing that was also going on during that time was what was happening in Africa, which was the pillaging of Africa, the raping, pillaging, and murders of all of the African citizens um, in the different countries. And so what you were getting is you were getting these, you know, like we see in West Africa, there's a giant French um, kind of... Uh, 
landscape there. It's a, a lot of the countries there, their, their, their main language is French. And you go to South Africa, it's Britain. And so you were getting all these countries that were also fighting with each other, but they were also going in to kind of split Africa up and take the resources, the gold, the, the, you know, the cocoa and the diamonds and all these other things. And so like, for instance, like in Belgium, King Leopold, um, you know, he built all of Belgium, his castles and everything from the rubber mines of Congo, where he murdered and killed 10 to 15 million Congolese men, women and children and took their rubber and what took it back home and sold it all across the world and became very, very wealthy. And so one of the things that was happening during this time of all these different countries going into Africa was that they were having a tremendous time, hard time, difficult time, kind of uh, since like maintaining and sustaining in Africa because of the heat and because of the different landscape, because of the weather, because of the bugs. And so what they would do is that they would take black people and the people that were there and they would take them and put them in cages and they would experiment on them and they would rip their skin open and they would put heat lamps on them and they would dunk them in cold water. And they were doing all of these ridiculous tests on them in the hopes that they would be able to break some type of genetic code so that they could then go back and tell their people like, okay, dope, we have this thing, now we can fully take over. And so that was one of the things that was part of the Third Reich as well, was that they couldn't really understand how black people were able to hold up in the conditions of Africa when they would go over there and burn up and die, or they would go over there and be sick. And so the zoo talks about the relationship between what has happened to men of color during that time and being experimented on um, during that time of World War II, but then also it's also kind of a double entendre of the zoo because not only here in the United States, but also in a lot of places in Europe, they actually set up physical zoos where they would take black people and put them in cages and they would sell tickets and people that were just off of the street for the public could go and they could buy tickets and watch black people interact and they would set up like mud huts and all these other things and the, the worst kind of characterizations of the black people um, and they would take them and they would just shove them in these, you know, in these giant, just like you would go to the zoo now and see, you know, giraffes and stuff like that it was the same thing for black people. And they sold tens of millions of tickets and made hundreds of millions of dollars. And we had a lot of those things here in the States all the way up into like the fifties and I think even the early sixties. And so it really is an opportunity, like I said, to educate, edify, but then also do it through a form of entertainment because these are things that we don't really know and especially now in our black community in general, we're seeing so much of this younger generation that's kind of wandering around with no sense of identity. They have no idea where they came from, what they're supposed to be a part of, because here in the States, we were taught, you know, 1619 transatlantic slave trade. And then that's what black people were kind of created. It was 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia. And then we were slaves. And then when we weren't slaves, then, there was like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And if you looked up to, to them, that, you know, as the educated ones, they were assassinated. And so then you're like, so what do you aspire to be? And so now this next generation, they're upset that they're black when, they're, when, they, when they come into themselves and they look down at their skin and they feel gross that they're black. We're getting our young princesses that feel disgusted that they are, you know, of the color and the hue that they're in. So it really became an opportunity for the zoo to kind of, highlight all of these different things and kind of utilize a lot of the things that Willie Lynch had used um, in his letters and kind of talk about those things on a bigger scale and kind of come on the back end of that and do a kind of a, a deeper and more in-depth education um, on the back end of this entertainment piece. 
Uh, and uh, tying into that same point as well, something that happened fairly recently uh, with regards to the education uh, based on history coming through entertainment was my understanding of what happened in Tulsa uh, all those years ago. Yeah, I yeah. I only found that out from having watched the first episode of The Watchmen, which came out. And it, mm. it turns out that it wasn't just myself. It was uh, hundreds of thousands of, of uh, Americans who were finding out that this was actually something that happened in their history, but they hadn't been taught about it in school. People who lived right. in Texas never needed that had happened. Uh, they, right. If they looked at the textbooks, it was it was passed off as a as a simple riot or some misbehaving that happened. A very, a very yeah, a very small. It, it comes across as like this very small situation when there was over six hundred businesses, hospitals, yeah. and and you know the police departments and all these other things. And I think not to cut you off, um, but like it's even to take it a step further. It's like you have. And every time I talk about it, I can never remember the, the Central Park in New York City. Well, that was originally called Seneca Village. And that was a Black-owned village. And when you had all these Black businesses that were going in there, creating and selling with one another, and that dollar is staying within the Black community, they just pulled land rights and just decided, no, we're going to have that. And instead of, which already would have been bad enough, which is kicking all the Black people out of there, they have funeral homes and everything, and then putting you know white people in there, they just decided, no, we're just gonna demolish all of it and then we're just gonna put grass over it and we're just gonna let people, generational wealth that we could have created for ourselves, we just decided we'll just make a giant park. And which was again, Seneca Village. And so this goes into this mindset of today's society where, especially here in the States, and I imagine it's still like this in other countries in the world, which is like this mindset of like, well, if only black people would just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and stop making excuses for slavery and X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, every time we've done that, uh, we've been firebombed, land rights have happened. There's been all of these different situations. And I mean, if you look at it in the 50s, you know, in the 50s, we had a zero to 1% illegitimacy rate. Now you're looking at 90 to 95% illegitimacy rate. None of those things are by happenstance. They didn't just happen. Black people just didn't get worse. It was your conditions, and every time you try to build something up, it's taken down. So then it's like, so what's the point of fighting? And this is something that the Willie Lynch taught in 1712 when he came over to the States. And he taught this in his Willie Lynch letters. He said, if you implement the things that I'm putting in these letters, it will not only be successful now, but 100 to 300 to 1,000 years down the road. And so what we're seeing now in today's societies, we're still seeing the things that were whooped into us, the things that were beaten into our ancestors, passed on to us generationally, which is pretty much, if you're born, just hold on, right? Don't ever try to do anything else because, and if you get anything else, don't ask for anything else, just be happy to get something. And these are all of those things that has really plagued our society. And we'll continue to do that if we're not trying to find different modes of edification, but then also kind of reinvesting in ourselves in that way, which is really kind of an uphill battle, especially when you're talking about doing it here in the States. I'm in England, so I wouldn't necessarily know any of this, but is there a resource that people could go to to easily find this out? Or is it so buried that people are discouraged from actually looking into this? Yeah, uh, great question. I think, you know, honestly, for me, like I started down this kind of journey in 2012. Um, and when, there, when the access for information was not that great, like you saw the internet and all those other things, but it wasn't as fast. But it's like now you can type in, you know, Tulsa riots and you can get it. What we have to get, I think, as a black community, 
is that we have a stronghold on our minds. Like I'm very, very big in scripture. So I'll kind of always kind of parlay certain things, but everybody kind of knows, you know, in the story of Exodus about being in Egypt and then Moses coming in and taking the people, there's a mindset that it was Pharaoh that was kind of holding people together and not allowing them to leave. There's a stronghold. Well, now here in America, we have a mental stronghold. We have an emotional stronghold because of the, our education system has kind of buried us to never look at anything in more depth. And so if we turn on the news, we just, whatever the news says is what it is that we're supposed to believe. And then anytime that we find something that kind of goes against the quote unquote official narrative, if you will, we just chalk it up to like, there's no way, because if this was truly true, we should know about it. And it's like, well, no, like based off of your history, what incentive do they have to ever want you to know what your true history ever is? Right. And so I think that if anybody is just curious enough, you can go and there's phenomenal authors that you can go and you can research these things of, of the Tulsa firebombs. You can go in and talk about said, you can just go in and type in Seneca village and you can go and look at all these different YouTube videos of these phenomenal authors that have great documentation of all these things. You can just type in the Willie Lynch letters and read the letters from Willie Lynch himself, you know, and just taking the time. And it's very, very difficult, but it's important for us, especially here in the United States, to understand how we got here and why we are in the way that we are and not just accept that, oh, well, it's just, we're naturally like this. I mean, we have a situation where like here in America, you used to get these cartoons and these different movies where they would pertain, um, you know, the black people as being kind of like mentally slow, right? And it would be like their eyes are crossed and they're kind of, the, and it would be this kind of, this, this uh, uh, cognitive disorder that they would create. And they don't understand that, that came from back in the day when we had slave farms that they would put bags over the, the heads of children and tie women to beds and the children would have to go in and sleep with the women. And when they would be done sleeping with the women, they would reveal that it was the mom of the child. And so there's incest that was happening. And so then, of course, when there's incest happening, there becomes a mental disorder that ends up happening. And so we kind of commercialize this mindset of looking at black people in a certain way but then you don't even understand how it even came about. And so this is the part of kind of just understanding fully about your history so that when certain things come up, you have a better idea about how to navigate and then how to tell stories and educate and edify on the back end of that. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm David Campbell. And we've been talking with uh, actor, director, uh, Denim Richard, one of the stars in the TV show Yellowstone. He's also in... Uh, the Chickasaw Rancher. He's currently directed a short called The Zoo. Now, uh, we've got a, a couple of more minutes left in this segment. I want to use this th that couple of minutes to ask, how can we get to see The Zoo? And then I want to quickly talk about the next project you're working on, which is The Forgotten Ones. Uh, how can we get to see The Zoo? So right now, we, are, uh, we have it in the circuit. We just got uh, our official selections to a couple uh, short film festivals. Um, and so what we're hoping is that after this circuit is done, that we'll also kind of do an education thing. We'll be able to get into the universities and then setting up a platform. By the time 2021 comes around, I know it's terrible. It's like we're talking about this. It's like, great, that, just cancel it. We're done. Um, uh, and then on the back end of that, we'll just put it up on a platform for everyone to be able to see um, and be able to have a deeper conversation. Um, and then, yes, the Forgotten Ones, um, which is, is a kind of the zoo in a much bigger landscape. We have a feature film version of that already done, and we've also created a limited series of that, which we just finished a pilot for. 
Um, and so it'll be an eight, an eight episode limited series uh, when we're done with that. And right now we're kind of shopping that around and kind of getting kind of what network or what platform that might be uh, better on. And pretty much what the, the Forgotten Ones does is it just goes into what we're talking about in a little bit more in depth, a little bit more story driven as far as that, because you don't have to truncate everything in 22 minutes um, of information. So that's something that it hopefully will be coming down the pipeline very, very soon. But both of those scripts are done. And now we're just kind of waiting to, to, to see what bites. You did the writing and directing for both those films. So yeah, both, both of those, yeah. So with that under your belt, will you be lobbying the higher ups at Yellowstone for a shot at putting some of your magic into either a script or directing a few you episodes? know it, it, it's a great you know it's a great thing i think it's like um you know the goal is like we got to see how long i think that's always been a goal it's like if you get to be on a show for you know four five six seven seasons like hopefully you can be able to you know get a shot at directing so maybe you know, maybe not next season, but maybe the season after the most highs willing if I'm still on the show at that point and don't get killed off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the great things about this is like, is you do have a much easier access to be able to go to the, you know, the higher ups that make these decisions and be able to say like, hey, like, here's kind of like what I do as a writer. Here's kind of a, a vision and stuff like that. So it definitely is something that we are having conversations with. And I know that um, as far as with Yellowstone, definitely before I'm done, I would absolutely love an opportunity to be able to direct one episode. I don't, you know, playing with these Just actors one? for so many years. What, you know, one or two, whatever, whatever is a lot, whatever is a lot of, you know, it's a big, you know, this, the show is like, there's so many people that want to direct this show. And there's so many people that have so many uh, directing credits under their belt that I'm sure that if they came to, they'd be like, yeah, let's just give them. And then maybe, you know, when the show's kind of wrapping up, they're like maybe Denim, go ahead, knock yourself out. But, you know, who knows? It's kind of a thing that I definitely would think that that would be something that I definitely want to do because I do love the directing aspect. Um, and it's something that I definitely want to continuously transition my career into, um, into that creative directing side as well as I continue to evolve in this industry. Excellent. Uh, Denim Richards, as we still have you, I want to I keep hold of you for a bit. We're going to transfer into uh, our next segment, which is going to be top five favorites. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. And we have actor, director, Denim Richards, uh, his star of Yellowstone, the TV series. He's also uh, directed, he's written and directed a short called Zoo. And he's written and directed a feature called The Forgotten Ones, which is also going to be in a limited series, a TV series. We're going to say, God willing, it is going to be a limited series. We know that it's definitely going to happen. So yeah. Also, one thing I wanted to mention that I didn't get to mention before, once you are able to send us the link for the zoo and any of your projects so we can share it with our listeners and share it with our audience and we get to watch it as well because that story sounds very intriguing. The idea of uh, Nazi, uh, the, sorry, Nazi, not necessarily Nazi concentration camps, but when you think of World War II and you think of the Nazis, that's immediately what mm. you, you think of the mm. Holocaust, you think of the Jews. You don't tend to think of any... Uh, impact the Germans or the Nazis actually had on uh, people of African ethnicity. 
So I'd love mm-hmm. to watch that movie to learn more about it. And it's, it's based on that, that I want to throw you into the deep end with your top five favorites. And the reason why I'm saying that for our listeners, our listeners know that we do this top five favorite segment. And what we do is we go around the room and we all talk about, uh, you know, we have a category and you le- know what the category is so you can prepare before you come into the show. But we're doing this differently. Myself and producer Dave are stepping out of it. We're not going to give our top five favorites in this category. You don't even know what the top five category is. I'm throwing a top five category at you and it is going to be films to educate about Black Lives Matter. So I would like you to share with us and our audience what top five, what your top five favorite films would be if you were to recommend anyone to learn more about the uh, struggle of the African-American, what top five, and you start from your number five and work your way down to your number one. So Mr. Denon Richards, are you ready with your top five favorite uh, films about Black Lives Matter? That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I think um, <clears throat> let's start. Let's start with your number five and your number four, we'll, and we'll we'll talk about those. Man, that's a t- these are it's a tough one. This is so. I mean, one of my top five, I think, would be uh, about just as far as educating uh, on the black experience. I think would probably be Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Sidney Poitier. I think it's just a great, very uh, condensed film that is very. Uh, it's very telling of the time, but it also tells about kind of the experience of a, uh, a black man that is very, very successful and that still has to deal with these other prejudices that go on in life. I think it's a great, it's just a great movie. Um, and plus Sidney Poitier is a legend. And I think everyone has something that they should be able to learn from that. And just the art of acting, um, I think is great. Um, just before you move on to your next one, sorry, were you going to say more about, I uh, guess, who's coming for dinner? No, that was it. That, that was okay. it. Uh, there's, there's, the, there's the part of my brain that is saying, I have tons of, of intellectual and intelligent questions to ask about guests who's coming to dinner, but I know I don't have too much of your time. So I'm just going to ask this really stupid question. What did you think about the remake, Guess Who? I didn't even bother watching it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah. So that's the, that's the <laughs> action picture, uh, um, Bernie Mac, Zoe Sada yeah. uh, remake where... I prefer the original, obviously, um, with Sidney Poitier. Um, I, I, I can't remember the, uh, the, 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 the dad, the guy who plays the dad. Famous. Oh, it, yeah. Um, oh, what is his I, name? It, 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 it'll, it'll, it'll come back to me. Um, but I, one, thing I, one thing I will give Guess Who credit for is the reversal of, of the sort of the races in a sense where uh, the 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 character who's coming in, Sidney Poitier's character is now played by Ashton Kutcher, and it's the reversal where the rich family is actually the black family, and the mm-hmm. the the younger young gentleman who comes in into marriage is a white family, white member, etc. But other than that, it isn't it isn't a memorable film at all. So you haven't really missed anything on that. What is your number Spencer four? Tracy. I'm sorry. Let's say yes, Spencer Tracy. Thank you, Spencer Tracy. Number <laughs> number four, maybe Ray. I think uh, I think Ray is great. Again, I think that it's uh, there's so many things that you know um, we have in the the black community about this this thing about drugs, you know, heroin being a big thing, and you know, people that know anything about the the drug trade that heroin was shipped into the you know to the black communities and distributed and to get them on drugs to get them into the prisons that are privately owned. And uh, I think one of the interesting things with Ray is that, you know, a lot of people didn't know about Ray Charles's history 
um, with that. But even to take it a step further, again, like I, I'll talk about the films and then I kind of go into like a little bit more in depth with the full education of it because still like <laughs> everything that comes through the, the entertainment process has to have a veneer of like false reality in it, if you will, just because it has to be entertaining. But, you know, even for um, a thing like Ray, it's like, you know, a lot of the, during that time because of segregation, you know, a lot of people of color that would go and perform, they weren't allowed to go to any bars or clubs after they were done performing. And so they were kind of uh, segregated back to their hotel room. So there wasn't a place where they could go and just kind of let loose and hang out. And also a lot of times the management companies or the record companies that had them as employees would not pay them in cash. They would pay them in drugs. And so once they got them addicted, they would do whatever they wanted to, which is, again, was another form of slavery because they were now needed to work just so that they could get drugs. And so you would get these record labels and these managers that were making hundreds of thousands of dollars off of them touring around, you know, stuck in their hotel rooms with nothing else to do but to be drug addicts. And so then this was another mode of being able to control them which we've again seen over and over and over again, you know, within our own community um, as we've kind of gone forward. Uh, Ray's a very great, it's a great pick because Ray has popped up on our top fives, usually number one and number two in very many categories. Whenever we've done top five, usually when it's to do with um, music, I am a huge fan of uh, Jamie Foxx for his portrayal of Ray. I think he definitely deserved that Oscar. I, I loved yes. Ray, uh, Ray Charles's music before I watched the movie, but I didn't know anything about his history. Watching that film, again, educated right. about everything that he had done, uh, both, the, both the good and the bad. And that's the one thing in particular that I really love about the movie Ray is it didn't shy away from the negative side of that character. A lot of other right. would tend to um, whitewash uh, the, you know, the, the character, especially when they were alive, because the, the movie did come out or it had just come out just before he died. And as such, right. it, 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 the, the temptation would be for, for it to be um, sanitized to honor this man that is this legend. But they didn't went down to the deepest, darkest um, uh, parts of his character and of his being. I think that's a great. Yes. So your number five was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Your number four was Ray. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acko. I'm David Campbell. And we have actor, director, Denim Richards, who is going through his top five favorite films to educate you about the African-American experience. I keep changing the name of the, the, the character. It's okay. African-American experience is far better, I think. It's great. I think I love that. So what is your number uh, three? No, number three is Fences. I think Fences is a very, very interesting film. I mean, the, the play is phenomenal. And, you know, we, obviously everyone knows probably the movie Denzel and, and Viola. But it really talks about the, the struggle in the 50s for, you know, these Black families that are just trying to hold on and the responsibilities of the men in these families and the burdens oftentimes that these women have to partake on because of the, the struggle and the frustration that their men are going through. And, you know, even in today's society, like I said, I parlay everything, you know, in our relationships, especially when you have this mindset where there's this mindset where you can go and you can kind of play nice and, and joke and laugh with people that look, don't look like you. And then you come home and you're upset at the people that do look like you. And it's because it's like this armor that you almost put up. And I think Fences really does a great job 
of accentuating that narrative and really pulling that together of, you know, what it's like in the 50s for a family just to try to hold together with all of the other worldly things that go on and trying to find the, the a redemption and a and but really kind of tell some real truth about the the burdens that sometimes us as black men feel that we have to put on our shoulders and our ability to not want to trust other people um but then also oftentimes our women can also become the the unfortunate catchers of a lot of that emotion which is unfair to them and the burdens that they also have to carry so i think fences kind of gets another great contained story of uh, some of the different experiences that you know different black families have had you know during that time Fences is definitely on my uh, to-watch list. Uh, Denzel Washington, Viola Davis. I mean, you have, uh, essentially, I, I don't want to do a comparison with, uh, with white actors because that is it, it is, it underestimates what their capabilities are. But everybody knows Denzel Washington. Not many, well, these days, people are now beginning to find out more about Viola Davis, especially over in the UK because of uh, the TV show she has, which is... Um, uh, get, get Away With Murder. How to Get Away With Murder. Exactly, but obviously she won the Oscar for Doubt, uh, supporting best supporting character and and uh, best supporting actress. Um, but yes, yeah, so two powerhouses in, in in acting performance together on stage. First, it was a stage, and then obviously the movie. I definitely want to see that film, Fences. I will definitely check it out as soon as I can. What is your number two? The Green Mile. It shows the the times, you know where. Anybody could say anything and you could go to jail. Um, you know, one of the things that we had during that time was that, you know, if anybody had said that a black person went in and raped her, the, they would get a community together throughout the entire community and they would just go door to door and they would just hang every black man that there was because it was like, there had to be no description. There had to be no anything. And you could never get caught doing anything. You could never get caught trying to help somebody because if you got caught helping somebody, they could just say oh, they're trying to steal something and all you're trying to do is hand them something, you know? And what it kind of just shows the, the humanity of somebody like in that movie um, that Marco, Michael Clark Duncan played, um, you know, during that time about not trying to fight, which, which is like, you know, which we even have in our own community, which is like curse the day that you were born, you know, because you, you're born into a society. And that's why so many, for so many different cultures, oftentimes, the day of your birth is the blessing, but in so many cultures in the black community, the day of your birth is a curse day because of the, what you're going to have to fight through for the rest of your life and what life are you really going to have. And I think that that's a really great movie to really show what that was like where you're just trying to help and then because the words and the prejudices of other people, you just end up dying because of it. And, you know, and it just kind of is what it is. And so I think that's my, that's my number two that still gets me every time. Okay, loved the Green Mile. Absolutely loved it. Think Michael Clark Duncan. That I mean, God rest his soul. That movie itself cemented him in the hearts and minds of anybody who watched it. Tom Hanks was amazing in it as well. And you had, uh, I, I believe, uh, Sam Rockwell. Um, Maybe yep. Sam, well, yeah. Sam Rockwell. Yes, Sam Rockwell yeah, in Sam it. Rockwell. It yep. is a small role in it as well. Now, the question. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a lot of people hate me for this. A question I want to ask about Green Mile, and I want to get your opinion on this, Denim. The, the idea of the magical Negro in cinema. Actually, let me ask you to tell our audience, what is this idea of the magical Negro? And do you think that knowing that concept or that phenomenon, does that have an impact on your sort of your appreciation of the movie Green Mile? 
Well, you know, I think that it's really, it's, it's really interesting. There's a, there's a lot of ways to go with this question. There's a lot of depth that we could go with this answer too. Uh, Cause it, I feel like it, it, it takes a little bit of depth. I think there's a couple hard things. I think there's a beauty of obviously the natural beauty of it, but I guess that there's also the, the part where it's like, you can never be a, a human. Uh, you can never just be a human. It has to be some, like you have to be an ethereal, um, which again, kind of plays into this psyche that like whatever you are naturally is never n- enough. And that um, even though we would already, just because of, of who we are being created in the image and likeness of the creator, we already have a natural essence and aura in us. But I think that what it does is that having that kind of separates us where you're not looking at them as human. Like if it's a, uh, if it's a white actor, if you will, that wants to go in and save everybody, they can just go in and just by the strength of them doing whatever it is, that's all that they have to do. But it's like this with us, it has to be some magic that has to happen. That's just like, you're never really fully humanized. Um, and so I think that that can be a, a hard part. And then obviously within the green mile, it's like, that was a hard part for me to wrestle with um, in the beginning, because it was also like, that still wasn't enough, right? Like it still was, <laughs> it's still like with all of the greatness that he even did in such a truncated period of time, didn't matter. Um, which again, plays on another psyche, which is like, so pretty much whatever you come with, it still doesn't matter. Like your fate has already been sealed for you. So I think that there's so many different, and I hate to answer because I love to be able to go more in depth, but to kind of answer those different things, I think that that's kind of like on both sides of how I kind of looked at it. I, and I know, I, I, like I said, I, I threw you into the deep end with just dropping this top five favorite category on you and just uh, throwing, not barbs, but like questions and, and just to try and get your opinion. Oh, I love it. I love it though. So it's great. It's great that's for me. Good. That's good. The only reason why I brought that one up in particular is because Green Mile sort of epitomizes for me that, that, that description, as you said, of the Magical Negro. And also, the, the, I hadn't even considered that extra uh, layer that you had mentioned, which is the fact that even the fact that he was magical couldn't save him. I mean, you could add the, the, uh, the Jesus allegory to it as well. Uh, but it's sort of the more and more I get to watch films where the, that kind of trope does pop up, it sort of I recognize it a lot more. And wh- one of the reasons why I recognize it is because there's a there's a, a Chris Rock joke. I won't go through it in in every single beat, but the e- essence of it was him talking about how the neighborhood that he lives in in New Jersey. Um, there are four black people that live in that neighborhood. Him, um, Mary J. Blige, Jay Z, and Eddie Murphy, and those the four of them. They're all like the masters of their own trade, right? So he is right. the best stand-up comedians in the world. Eddie Murphy is one of the greatest comedic actors in the world. Jay-Z is one of the greatest hip-hop artists in the world. Mary J. Blige, one of the greatest R&B artists in the world. And his, exa- his very next neighbor is a white dentist. Not the guy who invented teeth, but just, the right. white, just a regular white dentist. And mm-hmm. it sort of adds to your point where you say, any story can have a white character being anything. You could have a dentist that goes to Africa and saves that village. And that actor or that character is up for a, a, an Oscar nomination. However, right. you have to literally be the, the, the one person who survived slavery, um, uh, you know, uh, ran from this, effectively changed the civil war and, and in order to be able to be considered to be a, a right. et cetera. So that's, I, that always resonates with me every time I think of, the Green Mile. I love the film, mm-hmm. though. 
I think it's a great film. I know producer Dave really loves the film as well, so that's why. Yeah, I do. And, and there's something I want to say about that, because one of the things I got from the film was basically um, that this guy, magical, what have you, he allowed himself to go to his ultimate end because he was fed up of all the cruelty that he was seeing in the world. And mm -hmm. he it was perpetrated by people on other people. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, un until it changes, until that changes, it's going to be a, a, a horrible world. And mm -hmm. this is something that is still going on from mm -hmm. a black man saying that, and this is back in the, was mm -hmm. it the 50s? It's still going yeah, on. it's like yeah, thirties or forties or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. you know, and like that's what you said. And that's why I'm saying it's like you know, you get it's so interesting because there's so many people that when they tell us something, you know, that doesn't look like us necessarily, they come at it from a completely different aspect where it's like mm -hmm. you know, life is here to be enjoyed. Where so many other people's like life is like we're like just kind of here, just trying to like get through it, right? Like you're like you're just trying to dodge things. You know what I mean? Like and so that's kind of a great thing. Well, like you said, it was like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Because if it's not this thing, it'll be something else tomorrow, right? It's like, it's always going to be something that you're always going to have to fight through. And, and that's the thing was like, there was so much peace. Everybody else was fighting dying. Everybody else didn't want to die. They didn't want to go to the electric chair. They were fighting it. And for him, he was like, this is the greatest thing that could happen to me. You know, like it's the greatest thing that can happen to me is that I don't have to do this anymore. It's very, yeah. very deep. It's very, very deep. Um, you know, it, but it really, again, it talks to this emotional psyche of, you know, what that looks like. You're Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. And we have, doing his top five favorite films to educate you about the African-American uh, experience, actor, director, Denim Richards. Uh, Mr. Richards, what is your number one fil favorite film to educate you on the African-American experience? Men of Honor. Men of Honor is my Men of Honor is my favorite movie because the Cuba Gooding Jr. movie. Cuba Gooding Jr. Robert uh, and Robert De Niro. Yes. Um, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays a Navy SEAL diver. Um, and the reason why is it's because it really shows, it shows the struggle that we have when we're trying, anytime that we imagine something bigger for ourselves, what we have to go through. And the great thing, uh, the thing about Men of Honor was, you know, he's trying to come into a military that is segregated and that they don't want black people to succeed. And they did everything that they could to make sure that he couldn't succeed, but he refused not to. And it's a, it's, and it's a true story. And again, this goes back to what you were saying about, you know, what in order to get a look we have to what we have to go through in order just to get looked at um but then he went on to become a master navy seal diver and then even when he did that he his leg got shattered and they had to cut his leg off and they were like you'll never you'll never do this again you'll never everything that you ever wanted that you had to fight through all the prejudices for you'll never be able to do even though you couldn't read when you came in even though you weren't able to do this it, it wouldn't matter and he just said no like what well how can i do this again cut my leg off if if you're telling me that the only is I, i'm reading this thing about prosthetics and i've seen so many people that have been in these different fields that have been able to use prosthetics and they've been able to to return back to their line of duty then if that's the case cut my leg off and against his wife and against his family and what everybody else would think it was like he believed so much in himself and went all in on himself that he was like cut it off and then was able to go back and become a master seal diver 
um, and be able to do rescue missions and do all these things with one leg. You know, and a lot of people don't know that those giant suits are hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It's not a light thing. And you have to do that. And you also have to do that underwater. Um, and you're now doing that with one leg. And so it's just the story of perseverance. And I think that for me, it really is a big thing for, for us as a black community. Um, anytime that you want to do something to not allow the circumstances that are around you to dictate whether or not you get to be successful in that field or not, you know, because oftentimes the people that are around us, they never saw any type of success for themselves and they never imagined that they could do anything. And so it's natural for them to just say, no, you can't do that because they were never able to do that. And so to me, that movie really just encompasses everything of the segregation, the fight through segregation, the, the betting on yourself. You couldn't read, but you didn't allow that to hinder yourself. You know, you went through the uh, taking this test and you're underwater for eight and a half hours because they cut open a bag and metals are all over the place and you having to go against the ocean floor to pick up these metals to be able to put something together when everybody else just got it dropped in a bag and they had it all the way because they didn't want him to pass. And he just refused it. He would rather die in the water than to come up a failure. And it shows just that emotional standpoint. And so for me, it just, it's something that really resonates for me just as a man and as an artist and something I think is really, really beautifully done. And just, again, just in such a contained environment is really awesome. I, I haven't heard of Men, Men of Honor in such a long time. I remember I watched it when it came out. Um, again, don't know where Cuba Gooden Jr. has gone to. He's, he's a talented actor. Um, I, I think just the, I think the pressure of, not the pressure, uh, the expectation after having won the Oscar for Jerry Maguire basically railroaded him. But I, I thought he had, so he, he had such a promising um, he, he's he's a great actor, talented actor. Obviously, Rob De Niro is is is, is great. Um, but Men of Honor, sure. yeah, it it threw it threw it. That was a curveball. You threw it at me, and I was expecting where are you going to go with this? But you're absolutely right. I agree with your points on it. Um, so that was your top five favorite uh, films to educate you about the African American experience. Um, you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, Mr. Denim Richards. I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for. Uh, taking the time to sit down with us and talk about your films, the uh, the TV show Yellowstone that you're on. Um, we we can't wait to see the zoo because it's a, it sounds extremely uh, intriguing. I'd love to watch it, and I would love to have you back on the show whenever you uh, you have the opportunity to do so. Well, absolutely, um, absolutely. Thank you. Definitely, when you've um, got your directing and writing gig for Yellowstone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well. Yeah. I, well I'll, I'll let, I'll let you I'll, I'll let you know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not too long. Oh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm looking at next year. So. All right. Well, all right, well I'll, I'll, I'll start. I'll start laying the groundwork now. Good, good, good. <laughs> as soon as you do that, make sure you come back on the show to tell us about it. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's really been a great uh, opportunity to sit here and talk about the waterfront. And, you know, I look forward to hearing and seeing how this is received. And, yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon as uh, more developments, you know, begin to happen. Absolutely. You, you now have me. I, I have your, I have not your contact details, but I have you on Twitter. Um, so I will be hounding you constantly on Twitter from now on. That, that's perfect. That's perfectly fine. You might find some things I write intriguing. Uh, okay. Thank All right. You yeah, have a good one. You too. You.
Yellowstone is being shown on the Paramount channel, or you may catch up with the series so far 